Welcome to season two of the Love Good Podcast, where you learn how to love what is good so you can become what you love and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons, a community of intentional consumers who curate music and books based on the transcendentals of beauty, truth, and goodness. Join us each week as we sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about media, culture, and what it means to be human. We're so happy you're here. What's up, everybody? This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. Thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. This is actually one of the more interesting conversations I've ever had with anybody ever. Okay, so obviously we talk a lot about media and culture. We like to really look at, you know, music and books and films and and kind of pull out truth and pull out beauty and call out the counterfeits, you know? Today's one of those conversations with Alana Boudreau that in some ways has a, a bit of a, a crossover effect into maybe every aspect of our lives. We talk a lot about chaos and order, okay? And, and maybe that's something that we could consider out there in, in the universe, you know, out in space, the fact that there's a lot of chaos and maybe not as much order as we'd expect. But then we can look at our own lives and even within our own souls and perhaps recognize that there's a, there's a lot of chaos even in the midst of order. Really interesting conversation. I have no idea how we got onto it, uh, except that I think it actually uh, speaks to the mysteries of life that we are constantly trying to uphold, which is to say that if we're really living life beautifully and artfully and authentically, then actually it becomes really, really hard to live it dogmatically, which is to say there is absolutely objective truth. And yet the way that that truth changes us, transforms us, kind of differs person to person and season to season of our lives. So anyways, really interesting conversation with Alana today. By the way, we have officially launched our apprenticeship application for the 2019-2020 year. So if you've not yet considered that, if you're between the ages of 18 and 25, or you know anybody who is, go to lovegoodculture.com slash apply and check out all the details. I'll bring that up a little bit later on in the show and tell you more about it. But you guys are amazing. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back with Alana in just a few moments. Deep in the heart of stone, no fire, no flame, no spark can overtake or tame the dark. The freedom, they're very fine. Sing along, three cheers for Babylon. She goes at the break of dawn in that same sun, golden dress. She knows she's waiting for the silhouette. Then sing the nightingale. Look up, look at the dawn Yes, I escaped the darkness Once I heard and sang along But no one sang along Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. You are listening to Three Birds in Babylon by the Grey Havens. That is featured on our exclusive fall mixtape available only at lovegoodculture.com slash free. If you've not checked that out yet, please go do so. Uh, well, this is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, sitting down, really, really enjoying uh, my time with Alana Boudreau in the studio today. Alana, like, this has been awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. We, we cover a lot of very interesting topics. Yeah. The whole gamut. Yeah. It is the full gamut. And actually, that makes sense to me because we talk about beauty and we talk about what it means to be human. And that means we should have something to say about everything. 
There should be some thought process about everything if we're serious about beauty being transcendent or universal or somehow actually cutting across the thread of the human experience. You see, this is what happens. I go serious so fast. (laughs) That was pretty serious. I'm so glad for you, Alana, because you you really keep it real. (laughs) You do. I was actually thinking as you were saying that, I was like, whoa, (laughs) what would it be like to have to have a thought process about every single thing under the sun? Yeah, that would be... Not that we'd have to, but we could. You could. That's true. I like that. <laughs> well, it, but no. You know what? One interesting thing to think about is how different languages have completely different That's concepts. Point. Like, That's even, like, like uh, someone was telling me, my friend Mary, actually, like s- certain Asiatic languages, mm. they just translate differently within the head. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's a completely different. How does she know that, though? We don't know. She's American. It's, you know, she speaks English. But someone else more knowledgeable on the topic told her this. So it's – so I don't know. That may be completely out of our realm. That's a good point. You know, like culture yeah. and place of origin and mm. – which makes it all the more fascinating. Even sometimes when I think about different cultural standards of, like, beauty mm. and what's a value, even, like, something like modesty, it's different in different places. So – you know, you have certain constants. I'd say probably most cultures would agree, like, yeah, you should not murder someone and take advantage of those who are weak or whatever. But there's also a lot of gray area in so many different places. Do you know what she just did for me? What? I think you just opened up a new chamber of thought. Like, okay, I'm a pretty big fan of Thomas Aquinas. He's a philosopher, probably one of the best. He said this about God. I think I could say it about reality, that at any given moment, I could say something that would be true, maybe even like objectively true, but it would always be less true than true because mm-hmm. life is actually way more of a mystery. I love that. See, um, that's where I live. I live in that spot. <laughs> that... And it makes sense. Like you're an artist, so you're tapping into those mysteries better than most of us, you know? Maybe. I pretend to be an artist. I'm a bit more of an entrepreneur, a bit more of a... You know, I have a lot of friends who just call me a wandering missionary sometimes because I'm always just going from one continent to the next. I think I've slowed that down a little bit. But to be fair, like I only have like 20% artist brain, you know, Hmm. which means like there's a little bit more of me that's black. Like imagine if I was a lawyer and you were not because you're an artist, right? Oh, yeah. Can you imagine how interesting some of these conversations about truth would be? That would be very interesting. Well. And you're not a relativist. You're not saying that that, that there's no truth to be known. No. But you're absolutely saying that it's way more nuanced yeah. and way more complex right. or way – maybe we're way too complex, you know? It's like I'm always wondering about like childlike joy. Yeah. That's what I'm always trying to oh, tap sure. into. I mean I think know? there's – we make so many crosses of our own manufacturing. Oh, yeah. But one – actually this kind of pertains to what we're talking about. But have you heard of dark matter? I know it's a part of the brain. No. Well, it's a part of it's a very space. it's kind of it's, a nebulous thing. Okay. It's it's very much shrouded in mystery. I think we know less of it than we know. But here's I pulled this up on National Geographic and I'm probably still completely going to butcher it. But just listen <laughs> to this definition and then let me know how it sits with you. <laughs> Right, so the visible universe, including Earth, the sun, other stars and galaxies, is made of protons, neutrons and electrons bundled together into atoms. Perhaps one of the most surprising discoveries of the 20th century was that this ordinary or baryonic matter makes up less than 5% of the mass of the universe. So this is saying the visible reality in front of us right now, 
makes up less than 5% of the universe. It goes on. The rest of the universe appears to be made of a mysterious, invisible substance called dark matter, 25%, and a force that repels gravity, known as dark energy, 70%. And then it goes on into how they haven't observed it directly. It doesn't interact with matter. It's invisible to light and other forms of electromagnetic radiation. And it's impossible to detect with current instruments. However, they're confident it exists because of gravitational effects. Wow. Like the way it weighs on things and pulls on things. So like, what do you think of that? That idea that what we see and what we have so far felt confident to measure and understand and apprehend is so much less. It's a fraction of what actually exists. It's, yeah. it's, what does, how does that make you feel? It really fills me with joy and a sense of adventure. That's great. To yeah. be honest. I find it like really console. Here's the thing though yeah. about dark matter. It's also considered like chaotic. Also joy and anticipation Me and too. adventure. Like I, I'm, Me too. I like this is oh this is the conversation we're about to have about chaos and order. Yes, that was my very well savvy done. segue. That was one hell of a segue. Well, thank you. Um, real quickly, <clears throat> just because I think I said something about gray matter being in the brain. Is that no wait? What's the, the difference gray, here? Gray matter is in the brain. But this is gray matter in space. This is dark. Dark matter. matter. There we go. Yeah, you gotta get right, everybody your, get your distinction. Get your right. shades distinct there. Yeah, yeah. Dark, gray, gray. And dark. There's which gray can be dark. In my head, it's always dark. <laughs> okay, so no, it really does fill me with joy. But it's interesting to think that all of that's mostly, as you put it, chaos. Is that how? You, is that how you that's, say it? So that's how a friend of mine was describing. It. And again, it's one of those conversations that it's almost like. Time. As mm. soon as you start trying to describe time, it's like, yep. it's, yeah, you realize I have no idea what I'm talking So my friend and I were talking about this and we were talking about it in the context of like suffering in our own lives mm. and how, it, and it's an interesting thing, but just go there with me where I said to him after he described dark matter to me, I was like, I love that. Like, because it gives me room to consider, and this may sound absurdist or nihilistic and you can challenge me on that if you want it's just the thought that came it gives me room to consider that maybe some of the suffering that's happened it just like i don't have to read a ton of meaning into it i don't have to keep digging at it mm. or like putting a language over it and like doing mental gymnastics you know what like i understand like with the concept of resilience in psychology, it's like it's what you do with trauma that mm. matters and you do have the autonomy and like the agency mm. and the choice to do that. Mm. But I think sometimes you can like get so hung up on almost wanting to pray a an answer or a solution into something mm. that it gets this very controlling – it it just starts to suffocate. Like you're trying to almost squeeze the life into something mm. that you don't have to do that to. Yeah. So if that makes sense. So it's like, yes, I believe that there's inherent meaning and like an unfolding process that's happening. But when I heard that there's also maybe this kind of counterpart chaos that coexists with the light and the meaning, it, it, to me it was like, that makes sense to me. And You've it also almost... just described my soul. So that's why I like this so much. <laughs> okay. You know? Because it made me like feel like I could relax a little bit. Not like yeah. into this kind of stupor, but just like, whoa, yeah. this is so much bigger than anything I could try to make it mm -hmm. into to to fit a narrative or whatever. That's it. You know? Like, yeah, even even I like the way you said that. Like we are constantly trying to fit our reality into a narrative. Like, right. I think there's very few mm -hmm. people who actually go about life receptive. You know, kind of just ready to receive reality as it hits. Yeah. And again, I think this is like a difference in posture, you know, like if if 95 percent 
of the created order is actually more like chaos than it is order. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting and really humbling and actually resonates with so much of my interior life. <laughs> that feels a lot more chaotic than it does order. And even though I know because of a mentor many, many years ago telling me it's true, I believe it to be true. You take care of order, it takes care of you. So mm-hmm. this is not, you're right, this isn't nihilism. This isn't right. sort of a yeah. denial of uh, the truth of things. Not for me anyways. Right. It's a proper positioning of ourselves in light of the truth, which yeah. is a cause for humility and joy. Like humility and joy, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think they're hand in hand. You I know? think so too. Yeah. yeah. But so no matter how alarming or like just like massive and mysterious this whole idea of chaos and order is, it still doesn't quite answer the question, but I'm not completely chaotic. I am mm. here as a thinking, rational being trying to sort this out. Like it actually bothers me. Like that's... That's really compelling. I mean, yeah, and I love it. Beautiful, you know. So yeah, it's almost. I, I guess I was mostly just rejoicing in the chaos because, again, that's so much of my inner reality. You know, like that resonates with me more than it does intimidate me. Like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, there's a lot of chaos within. So the fact there's chaos without makes sense. It's comforting. Right. One question I had for you too is, what do you think of the idea? Because I mentioned it earlier of how so Bishop Robert Barron is a, a Catholic bishop. He's in. Los San Diego? Angeles. Los I Angeles. Think. Yeah. Okay. LA. And I was listening to have a conversation with Dave Rubin. I mean, this people don't don't read into my don't like put labels of politics onto this. It was just a really good conversation. And Barron said to Rubin, he was talking about the metaphysics of Catholic theology and belief in God. And he said, you know, there's actually somewhat of an agnosticism at the heart of it, where we believe that God is less similar. You know, or, or there, he's more dissimilar than similar, mm. you know, to the attributes that we can give him. And we're better able to infer who he is based on what he is not. Mm. So, that, I mean, there's some some overlap with the dark matter conversation here, like the gravitational forces that are mysterious that you can't see. And but how does that strike you in your own, because you are a faithful person. Mm. So how does that strike you? Does that make you uncomfortable? Would that have made you uncomfortable, that statement, like this idea of an agnosticism? Mm at the heart of that idea? Mm-hmm. Like, does that, would that have bothered you at any time? Or? It would have definitely bothered me in like a, the, I would call an era of my life, one of like, I was struggling in a lot of ways. And so my response was like a religiosity. Yeah. You know, I became yeah. very much a moralist or a legalist. What did that make you feel like you had a framework that put you? I think it made me feel like, safe. Okay, you know, it, it okay. made me feel like I was at least putting forward an ideal, even if I wasn't living it. I was attempting to, right. attempting to publicly even, you yeah, know, yeah. and uh, would occasionally, you know, get like a, a slap on the back for that. Mm-hmm. And then there was like what I'd almost call like a, a, a second awakening, you know, somewhere around age 20, you know. I was talking about this with you not too long ago, like being in Honduras for two months where I saw more joy in the eyes of orphaned children and abandoned and abused mothers than I had ever really tasted myself. Like I saw that joy mingled with poverty, couldn't make sense of it and thought there's something here that I don't have. Mm -hmm. And it just brought about like for me this sort of crumbling of a lot of the I hate to call it order, you know, just like the the, the boxes, you know, sure. and the classifications and the, sure. the the different, you know, ideas and labels that I had about the world and what it meant to be human. Like it all just came crashing down, mm-hmm. I think, because it made me yet again like a child. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I feel like I've been just trying to like tap into my five-year-old self ever since. Right. It doesn't right. mean I don't read. It doesn't mean I don't care about 
being mature and, uh, you know, like having a, a, an intellectual integrity and those kinds of things. Yeah. It's right. not about being childish, but it's for me, it's about joy and wonder. And I don't know. I guess the more I hear science unfold these like beautiful new uh, understandings of, of the galaxies and even of planet Earth, of the human body, like I, it just makes me kind of stand in awe. Right. And I like it right. when I stand in awe because it means I, I'm feeling kind of small in light of something bigger. Right. I love how that feels. I do too. Yeah, it is. It's more awe-inspiring yeah. than anything else. And I've had a similar experience too of just like this dismantling of the classifications and and – just like, I guess, yeah, the boxes in my mind mm. that made me feel more safe. When I was able to identify that at, at the heart, it was just a seeking after human approval, which is yeah. which is such a straw man. You know, like it just yeah. doesn't get you far. And so, yeah, living in this this space of, I guess, appreciating mystery mm. more yeah. and not being threatened by it, I guess, and also not being threatened by my own humanity, mm. it's a much freer place to be you know yeah. and 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 yeah. belonging is more of a frequent feeling than ever before i yeah. think because yeah when you just kind of boil all the fat off off the the enterprise of trying to like i don't know i don't know if that makes sense but it's certainly an antidote you know for perfectionism which is right. totally a struggle for me and uh yeah again just like really refreshing i suppose and i think as you put it like the order uh, is still as much something to stand in awe of as the chaos. Like it's really well said that like actually there is a heck of a lot of order mm -hmm. to to my life. A lot more than I probably realize in any given moment. The fact that you and I can carry on this conversation, the fact that we can carry on a friendship after seven years, the fact that 14 years later I'm still living in the same town, mm -hmm. practically on the same street, you know, for the last 10 years. Yeah, There's order to that. There's a, there's a yeah. certain predictability to that that is a part of – joy and is a part of like a, a sense that this is right, you know? Right, right. But actually it's all the other moments which are more frequent and fill, filled with chaos that are a great cause for excitement and joy and adventure as well, you know? Right. The, I think the thing, the word that keeps coming back to me that I, I derive a lot of joy in life from is potential, mm. like in potential. Like a, a friend of mine, he said something like, one of his favorite responses to any like black and white question is like, possibly, maybe, never, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that too, because it is, we are all unfolding and we are in potential. And it's just an interesting thought experiment too, to, to like you mentioned, the suffering of children who are orphans and women who've been through abusive situations. And some of it were like tsunamis, natural disasters. It's like, how do you make sense of that? And does it help you become a better person if you are a Christian person? Does it help you become more convicted of the love of God if you try to read a lot of like deep and intense meaning into that? Do you have to do that? Like, yes, it's, I think, I think finding meaning in suffering can be a true gateway to wisdom and like to compassion and to actually being a more fully flourishing person. But do you know what I mean? I think some people do just suffer terribly. And they don't find meaning in it. Mm. And I wonder at times, like, do we all have the ability to find meaning in it if we choose to or not? You mm. know, like, it's, it's just a worthwhile question to grapple with. And I don't have the answers, but I do think music and art, they try to make sense of it. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, I think some of the best music is, like, it's the manifestation of a coping mechanism, mm. a manifestation of the question 
what is the language I'm trying to learn? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the syntax that will bring meaning into the suffering I've experienced? And I I do think the best music is the one that allows it to be a question mark, right? Like, where nobody has this prescriptive, like, kind of pontificating, I know the answer. You know what I mean? It's just more dynamic than that. So it's just, yeah, it's all part of... Mm. Humans are are beautiful beings, you know, the way that we express and try to make contact with the divine out of what we have, the good and the bad, you know? And this is a conversation I cannot wait to continue, maybe even especially in light of like a culture of relativism and a culture where like actually people don't really seem to hold up truth as something terribly objective or real anyways, you know? So what what does it look like to embrace the mystery, to, to live in this tension of the already but the not yet? Right. And That's, also yeah. to like call a spade a spade and say that very few people actually live as relativists. Yeah. Because we all worship something. So true. You know, so like true. Eve, no matter, like David Foster Wallace has his, have you heard of him? He was, yeah, everyone's books, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like This Is Water Infinite was his. Jess, I think is the one. Correct. Yeah. I've never actually read that one, yeah. but it's very hipster to carry it around, yeah. apparently. It's but on a bookshelf. He, <laughs> I'm a hipster. There you go. Never read it. And you've got this cool, you've got this cool <laughs> shoes on today too which are like sort of hipster but. i took them off i went back to burks you went back to the burks yeah uh those are i gotta get myself burks a new pair but his 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 idea though in that speech this is water everyone check it out it's free online he does say like you can claim to be a relativist or an atheist but you you You're do not. worship something you mm. are made to, to to respond to that impulse of mm. something bigger than you and you can choose to worship very harmful things and you're better off if you choose to worship good things if you choose to worship the good thing so yeah i think it's there's so many different things we can talk about but i i would love that to mm. yeah dive more deeply into what's going on it's in awesome. all of our hearts today and whatnot that sounded a little a little cheesy but but i mean it you know it's it so. and we all got a lot going on in our hearts and i think a, a little opportunity like this to just kick back and learn better how to love what is good so that we find the the heights of true joy in the midst of all kinds of suffering and chaos. That's a worthwhile pursuit. As always, Alana, what a joy. Yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. Okay, yeah. So conversations with Alana Boudreaux can go in any number of directions. I must say, like pondering suffering and chaos and order is something that I don't do enough. And I hope at the very least, our little conversation right there becomes a conversation starter for you, your family, your friends to really think about uh, life from different perspectives and uh, to not in any way deny objective truth. But to penetrate it, you know, and to to step into the mysteries of life without necessarily trying to solve all of them, but but rather to find life in the midst of all of them. Really, really cool. Uh, really, really awesome conversation as always. So, hey, next week, I'm not actually going to announce who's going to come in, but she may or may not <laughs> be someone that you're used to hearing, especially if you've been tuning in to the Love Good Podcast for a long time. Hint, hint. 
especially if you tuned in to season one. But yeah, very exciting guests from a different country uh, joining us next week on the podcast. And uh, just want to remind you that we do have, at this point, brand new open applications for our 2019-2020 apprenticeship year. I don't know how many of you know about the Love Good Apprenticeship Program, but it's basically an amazing nine-month experience for 18 to 25-year-olds who want to spend time living, praying, working in community, really uh, discovering themselves, finding their mission, uh, and really ultimately changing the world. So really, really exciting program, a nine-month gap year experience. Check out lovegoodculture.com slash apply. If you yourself are interested or if you know anybody who might be, we are taking applications and actually our very first early bird deadline is coming up on December 1st. So it's a great time to apply. Again, lovegoodculture.com slash apply. You guys are amazing. Hope you're having a beautiful, beautiful start to November. We will see you next week. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to season two of the Love Good podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media and be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. You can join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at lovegoodculture.com. Start enjoying our seasonal packages that will raise your standard for media and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.